This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. Yes, you are back with Life Beats right here on Pulse 95. I'm so pleased to be welcoming you back to the show. None other than Said Said, art and culture reporter for The National. We have missed you. It's good to be back. How are you, my friend? Amazing. I am very well. You have been busy. You've been traveling a lot. You've been to Lisbon. <laughs> yes, that's right. We just came back um, from Lisbon. There was the Aga Khan um, Music Awards. So this is the first time that it happened. It's an award um, that honors artists that preserves the, the traditional music of countries that have a significant Muslim population. It's the first of its kind, half a million dollars in prize money, and the winner... Um, of the performance award, which is, which is the Marquee Awards, was um, the Egyptian Oud performer Mustafa Saeed. So that was really great news. Amazing, amazing. That uh, sounds uh, like a fantastic uh, event that you were at. But now you are back in the UAE. There's a lot going on. Um, we are about to, in the next couple of weeks, we're uh, about to see Sharjah being officially crowned as the UNESCO World Book Capital for 2019. And it's all kicking off with an unbelievable performance. 1001 Nights, the last chapter. Yes, that's right. So the thing about this news, it was kind of released in two stages. So the first thing we heard about it was like two weeks ago that somehow as part of the World Book Capital, there's going to be this wonderful epic production, A Thousand and One Nights, the last chapter, uh, which, which will have over like about, over 530 um, artists acrobats, technologists, the whole, uh, the whole team is basically a mixture of the best of the best. Cirque du Soleil and on Broadway and what have you. Wow. So, yeah, so this is like a really interesting thing. And the way the show is being done is, is going to be presented in a series of 13 performances. So 13 dance suites. And then, all, and then it all kind of comes together. You know, so it's a blending of culture, blending, you know, of, of artistic talents. So it's the first thing we've learned. So it, so it was interesting, but it kind of seemed a little bit random because we didn't know exactly how will that kind of link in, you know, to the award. But only a couple of days ago, the news came that during that performance, there's going to be a little kind of ceremony where Sharjah will be officially crowned mm. as the world book capital so now it kind of all makes sense so it, 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 it'll be a fun and quite significant um event um you know for Sharjah and the uae in general you, you know it is um 1001 nights is one of those legendary tales of the world that links you know the arab world to the world of literature um and so i'm just imagining this will be a spectacle as we have been hearing, unlike anything that we've ever seen before at the Majaz Waterfront, which is, you know, it's just become synonymous with amazing performances now. Uh, what are you hoping to see, Zaid, your expectations out of this? Well, when you got artists coming from Mexico, France, UK, Brazil, Belarus, Slovenia, Japan, US, the UAE, of course, and a host of other Gulf countries, you know, you're going to expect a lot of color. You're going to expect yeah. a lot of flair. And also as well, one thing that I've learned about the show is going to be um, very, it, it's going to be on a high technical standard in terms of there will be um, a lot of light, a lot of interesting um, te- um, um, technological aspects to the show. So this is just not just a dance performance per se. It's kind of like a like it's a it's a high tech 
very, very um, innovative type of show. So, and, and, and it's a kind of the first of its kind. This show is not touring anywhere. This is done specifically for Sharjah. So this will be great. This is, it looks incredible. We cannot wait. This will, of course, be on the 23rd of April. But uh, coming back to the whole uh, theme of around books as well, which is uh, so big for us at the moment. Um, for the first time, we are seeing a golf author, a woman, no less, shortlisted for the Man Booker International Prize for the first time. This is amazing because uh, we've seen a total of 108 books in 25 languages considered for this year's Man Booker International Prize. And now that has been trimmed down to just six outstanding novels in five languages, Arabic, French, Spanish, German and Polish, that are going to be put forward for the prestigious awards and the £50,000 prize pot, which will be split between the author and the translator. So among them... This is really, really exciting. Joker Al-Harthi's uh, Celestial Bodies. It's a story that is set in a village of Al-Awafi, Oman. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the great thing about this, it might be surprising, you know, for um, people who are who are kind of um, don't know what's happening in the region. But mm-hmm. if you're a regional book, book lover, it's kind of a confirmation of what we already know. It is really the female authors that have been representing the Arabic literature scene of, you know, over the last four or five years. In addition to this wonderful nomination, don't forget we have a record four people, four women that are being nominated for the International Prize for Arabic Fiction, which mm. will be um, um, uh, awarded in a couple of weeks here in the UAE. So it's really the woman that's been, you know, leading the charge in the, in, in the literary stakes here. And this is just a wonderful confirmation of what we already know. 100% because uh, here as well, uh, Saeed, we've got five out of six of the authors shortlisted for the Man Booker International Female as well. And of and all of the translated nom- translators nominated are women as well. So this is yeah. really, wow. I mean, absolutely. And the wonderful thing about the Man Booker sit- uh, situation as well is that it does um, shed light on the artistry. And it is an artistry of what translators do. I mean, this is that, yeah. So I mean, what, I mean, the job that they do is so important because not only is it just about um, um, presenting the information of the of the original text in an accurate way, but also capturing the spirit, the literary flair of the author, mm. and that's very hard to do. So it's wonderful that the the Man Booker is also um, shedding light on this wonderful art that's translation. You've got other shortlisted authors, including French novelist. Annie Ernaux for her autobiographical work, The Years, translated by Alison Strayer. Uh, German writer Marianne Poschmann uh, for The Pine Islands, which sees a lecturer follow in the footsteps of a poet through the Pine Islands of Matsushima in Japan, translated by Jen Kalea. Uh, Polish writer Olga Tokachsuk. I hope I got that right. For Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Um, and Chilean-Italian Alia Trabuco Zeran for The Remainder. Um, this is phenomenal. I'm just loving this. And these are your esoteric summer reads. There you go. Just in time for the, you know, for the summer break. Yes. <laughs> you know, now we know what to get. And that's the thing also about the Man Booker. It's not really concerned in terms of um, popularity or book sales. It's about quality. And a lot of the time what the Man Booker does is that it, um, it's a circuit breaker. 
it um, it, it introduces um, a new type of literary um, works, you know, to a general to a general population, you know. So this is fantastic for these authors. It really is. But coming up, uh, Saeed, we are going to be talking about an interview that you recently did. This is with Oud Maestro Omar Bashir as well, who have, is kind of saying that Arabic music has gone downhill in the past two decades. We're going to find out why. That's next on Live Beats on Pulse95. You're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. 95. Keeping it local all day, every day. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Yes, you're back with Life Beats and uh, Saeed Saeed, arts and culture reporter from The National. Um, Saeed, one of the stories that's kind of come to light in the last couple of days is uh, Prince's estate winning a three million pound ruling over uh, an engineer's unauthorized EP of songs from the late star. I mean, this is a case of what was this guy thinking? Right. I mean, one. I mean, one thing that I guess anyone who has an interest in the music industry knows: you don't mess with Prince's estate. <laughs> even when Prince, even yeah. when Prince was alive, I mean, I mean, he was very, very aggressive in terms of you know pursuing anyone um, that uh, you know that compromised whatever his work. Let's put it this way: I went to a Prince show in Dubai at Pasha, a secret show. I recorded thirty seconds of the show, put it on my Instagram. Twelve hours later, it was blocked. It was taken down. <laughs> it was, yeah, a complaint filed by the Prince Estate. So they. Basically, what happened here? An engineer who worked with um, who worked with Prince, basically, his name is Ian Boxell. Um, he released an, uh, an uh, basically an um, a song. Um, on, 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 uh, he released an unauthorized song on streaming services with the promise that even more songs will be released um, in a couple of weeks. So that was a bit of a taste tester of what he would say is um, a, an EP of songs by uh, Princess by Prince. Princess Estate said that that, that release was um, unauthorized. They went to court, and they're um, they're being basically promised now four million dollars in addition um, to legal fees. So this is a yeah. So this is a case, um, um, a cautionary tale to anyone is not not to mess with Prince's songs. But to think as well that he was planning on releasing an EP. I just like, are you serious? Yeah, well, I mean, the idea was that um, this gentleman, he uh, basically, I think it stems down to the ownership of the song because basically he worked on these songs. I think he, uh, I think, well, from, from what the way that I read the report, he kind of felt that he had some kind of co-ownership of the song. Mm. Apparently that's not the case. And now he has to find $4 million to, you know, to rectify the situation. Well, let's see. Uh, you know, I hope nothing else uh, comes up uh, around uh, Prince's estate. You just know not to mess with the artist. But uh, yeah, yeah, because the thing is, there's a. I mean, the, I mean, a lot of it is down to the fact that there's still a lot of songs, hundreds of songs that have not been released by Prince, spanning three um, three decades. So the Prince's estate basically, um, you know, they, they, 
they plan to do a series of releases over the next few years. So I wonder whether this um, this was part of the um, the original release that they were planning to do. Yeah, because we're looking at uh, you know what we've already heard a little bit of um, uh, Prince piano and a microphone uh, mm. from 1983 as well. Uh, you know, there, there are all of these bits and pieces that are coming out um, that kind of give us an insight. It's almost a behind the scenes. Um, from Prince, you know, a- apart from his show-stopping music. It's kind of yeah. those mo- more intimate moments, right? Absolutely, because Prince has always been an enigma when he yes. was alive. You know, I mean, he always, I mean, he always showed you enough to confirm that he was this amazing talent. But you know, so in a way, um, what these releases show, particularly the microphone and piano um, uh, release, it just kind of adds more context. It kind of shows you how the songs were kind of were kind of sketched out. You know, Love so it. yes, yes. So these things are, you know, these things are important, and you don't really have to be a Prince fan to understand it. You know, I mean, the music is great and it stands on its own. Now let's uh, move to one of uh, the interviews that you recently just did, and this is uh, with Oud Maestro Omar Bashir. I'm really interested in this and and, and kind of finding out a bit more about uh, Omar Bashir. He is, of course, uh, the son of Munir Bashir. Um, you know, they are Iraqi legends when it comes to Oud as well. But uh, Omar says that uh, Arabic music has gone downhill in the past two decades. This is interesting. Yeah, well, you know, when you are the son, you know, of the music pioneer and really a firebrand, Munir Bashir, you know, um, you become a purist. Yeah. I mean, Omar Bashir, basically, um, a wonderful musician, um, Iraqi, Hungarian. He was born um, in Budapest. Um, yeah, and he's really like, you know, one of the most technically gifted and one of the most top, um, really, oud, um, oud players around. So I met him in Dubai recently. He was in town to discuss his latest album, instrumental album called um, The Dancing Oud. And, he was, and, in, and during the course of that interview, he was saying music has gone downhill in the region. And he blames that on the idea that, peop- on the idea that music has become entertainment. He's saying that, you know, when he grew up, music was a serious pursuit, you know, and, and it was kind of given the respect that it deserves. But now with the plethora of talent television shows, you know, you have got talents, Arab idols and what have you, you know, mus- the, the, the music has kind of been viewed as a form of leisure. And in turn, that kind of affected the music It kind of made it more less demanding and more cheaper. Do you kind of agree with him that it's kind of been diluted, that it used to be this very high art form? Um, and now, <laughs> you know, the, the the idea of entertainment. Do we not need entertainment, though, Said? I mean, look, I agree. I mean, look, I, I mean, I don't... Th- I mean, my perspective about this is that it's... Look, there's nothing wrong, you know, you know, like, you know, with these shows, but we do perhaps have to address the balance on what we give exposure to, you know. So if we're giving exposure to just this kind of music, you know, the leisure that type of thing, then, you know, then it's, it, then it's unhealthy. You know, so I think it's a case of what we choose to, um, how much exposure is given to this and that. So, yeah, so in a sense that, um, I mean, a lot of the time now, I mean, the, the, what we see in popular culture, the music is, you know, is mostly pop-driven. It's mostly these talent shows. Mm. But, you know, I think as a paper, I mean, as a journalist as well, as a culture journal, you know, we should kind of expose more you know, artists um, like Omar Bashir who are amazing. And I think um, it's interesting because I think we don't know, you know, these legends of Arabic music that we need to we need to expose ourselves more 
to them as well, the Munir Bashirs, the Omar Bashirs, and, and more as well. Yep, yep. And this also goes back, for example, to, um, to the beginning of our discussion, which is the Aga Khan Music Awards. Yes. I mean, it is, you know, we need, you know, these kinds of events, you know, these kinds of platforms, you know, to showcase, you know, like, you know, the great talent, you know, that's within the region. You know, it's just, you know, there's, there's more to the region, respectfully speaking, than Naina Amr Diab and, you know, Nancy Ajram or what, etc. There is that diversity of talent, absolutely. Was there something in particular that surprised you about Amr Bashir? Well, you know, the thing is, I mean, the, one, the thing is, when you speak to Amr, um, to Amr Bashir, you have to, you can't, um, you have to understand the lineage that he comes from. So his father, Munir Bashir, Munir Bashir he's really like, you know, he's an interesting character. So basically, um, um, he um, went to Iraq. He, he basically established the Iraqi cultural scene, mm-hmm. you know, in his, from 1970 to 1990. You know, he established the Babylon International Festival in 1987. He established um, some a, a range of music schools and organizations. He was also a mentor to stars like Kadima Saher yes. and you know Farida Muhammad. So that's the thing about Munir. And basically, Omar, the way Omar was telling it, Munir was a very very tough teacher. You wow. know, <laughs> like he said, he didn't hear praise from him for nearly twenty years. Whoa! <laughs> and he said, "This is the reason, for example, why Kadima Saher is so humble and you know, and always punctual, which is really a rarity, to be honest. Sadly, between Arabic pop stars, because you know, Munir Bashir wouldn't have it any other way." Wow, that's amazing. The way that a master has trained, uh, you know, uh, other incredible artists in the <laughs> Arab world. Exactly, and that's the thing about you know about this type of music as well. I mean, this type of music is taught. You know, it's not just about the technical skills. I mean, the way they're trained is music and the character of an artist. And you know, in these days, you know, everyone's doing it themselves. You know, online, there's none of that. You know, the mentoring. You know, and I think you know that's kind of missing. It's incredible. That interview is, of course, uh, on the website, on the national.ae website. And uh, thank you so much, Saeed, for joining us. And uh, we're, we can't wait to talk to you again next week, same time. Absolutely. It's a lot, of, a lot of great things coming up between now and Ramadan. Looking forward to speaking Fantastic. to you about it next week. Fantastic. See you then. Take care.
95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.